All right, how's everybody doing? Damn, we already had some church up in here this morning, didn't we? Man, it's been good. So good. So good to hear about ELI and just adding the missionary partners. I love the relationships. You know, one of the commitments uh, the elders have made in the finance committee is to not just kind of sprinkle and scattershot missions, but there's friendships and relationships. Chuck MacArthur, who's the, I guess, the executive director of ELI, had to put up with me and Dan when we were young, and we thought we knew everything, and he pastored us through just ignorance and pride. Um, and he hung with us, and then he, we probably made him retire and move to Africa. Um, but it's just great to have a relationship with him. Uh, over the coming months, I think we'll have an opportunity to have Chuck here and, and uh, uh, share a little bit more about ELI, and, and then we'll have some other Groundswell Ministries being shared. But man, that just pumps me up and gets me excited. Um, as Ben mentioned earlier, which uh, wasn't it great to have Ben? Uh, we've known Ben and Dakota for a few years, and um, it's great to have them. They were so generous. Uh, Dakota, his wife, was so generous to us uh, when we first started doing children's ministry officially. We I had planted the church, but then we, we were moving into these kids' spaces that didn't have anything, and um, where she was leading um, children's ministry that had extras, and that's what you do in the church. You just And she just gave us a bunch of stuff, brand new things that we needed that we didn't have to pay for, and uh, helped us in designing some of the ministry stuff that we have in our church today, which is awesome. So we've had a relationship with them, and it's great to have them. I mean, they were... It's interesting, you know, in this crazy season, you know, uh, just a, a viral pandemic and just a weird, I mean, let's be honest, just a weird, you know, 2020 and now 2021, um, you know, Ben and Dakota were missionaries and, you know, have come home and they're in this same place that we're going to talk about today, which is this idea of almost feeling like you're in exile, like, it's amazing. Well, I'm, I'm actually proud. I want to say thank you. You're here at church. You know, you that got up and are on the stream uh, this morning, uh, so excited that you got up. It's hard when the wind is blowing. I mean, it's blowing out there. It's like, I thought I was going to blow away. Um, I pulled up. Usually I'm really nice and servant hearted. And I was like, you know, I'll park further away and walk, you know, not the past. This time I'm like, man, we roll in pastor's park. And I think I parked right out there. So if I took your space, I'm sorry. I didn't think anybody was going to be here, to be honest with you. I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, we're in this new series called Return. And I love it because people have kind of heard, you know, what the, what the series is about, this idea that, you know, in a new progressive culture that we're kind of, I think everybody's got, always got hopes and dreams. Some people are mad that we're moving forward out of the, the last season or political regime or whatever you call it into a new one, this progressive, you know, idealism that we're, we're moving towards. Um, I think God's calling us into a different place to remember what we've maybe lost in the last couple of years and return to the timeless yet relevant truth of his word, to return to him in a, in a powerful way. And I think sometimes it's like we're sitting here today, we're in church, you're on the stream, you're engaged in the, in the word of God. But in reality, you know, when the enemy tries to leverage things to move us away from God, the way that he does it is not very direct. I mean, a viral pandemic might feel like that is the devil just working. But on the side, what really happens over time is it's like a balloon that just slowly leaks out. And then, uh, you know, one day we wake up and we realize what happened. How do we get so far away from the things of God? How do we get so far away from what, what God's called us to as the people of God, which is you know, as Dan said, we want to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. We want to carry the gospel to the people around us. We exist to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace that comes through Jesus alone. So this series really is it's less about returning to church. I think some people are like, well, I'm not ready to come back to church. That is absolutely fine. We just recognize that over the next few months and over the next year, people will be physically returning. But we also have to look back 
at the things maybe that we have lost, that we didn't realize that we'd lost. I mean, I was thinking about this this, this past week, and I read an article, and this is going to make some people sad because some people, who works from home now as a result of, of COVID? I mean, that's a pretty good chunk of people, just the, the few hands that went up. You're just like, I'm, I'm at home. Some of you are just like, I don't want to tell people I work from home. They'll come by when I don't want them to. Um, but back in August of 2020, I still get, because I, you know, for 10 years, I, you know, worked in software development world, business world, and I still, you know, you know I still look at Forbes magazine and business journal. I'm cool. And I, uh, I was reading a Forbes article. It was talking about, you know, all the money that people were saving on their bottom line on these large corporations because they were able to drop these massive leases that they had because all of their employees were starting to work from home. They're talking about the flexibility. These people can take care of their families. Um, people are happier and people are able to execute their job from home. This is nirvana. This is great. This is something that we've learned in a difficult situation. We've come, come out with something that's going to be great for years and years to come. Well, uh, that was great news for some people that work, were working from home in their pajamas, or at least from the, you know, the waist down in a Zoom meeting. I got my tie, and I'm knotted up, and I've got my fuzzy slippers on um, in my Zoom call. You know you've done it. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's, it's, the, the problem is, and what people have said, I've, I just read two new articles um, over the last couple of months, two in Forbes and one in Business Journal, that said we were wrong that this is not going as well. And the, the projected forecasting for businesses in the two and five year range, if people don't get back to work, is going to be detrimental. Like having people, what they're realizing now is that there's a massive loss, that there's a loss of culture, which culture is always trumps organizational management. Like if you have a good corporate culture, that trumps organizational management every day. Anybody that's in the business world knows that culture is a big deal. It, People working in isolation in a home um, removes the ownership factor. People feeling like they own part of the company because there's, they're an employee. They're, they're a shareholder in some way. The company values get lost. There's a loyalty issue where people hop from job to job. People are like, I work from home. I'm not going to move the chair. I don't even know what my boss looks like. It doesn't matter. I don't like the people I work with because I don't work with anyone. You see what I'm saying? They're realizing the, the whole, the idea of a collective that you can't create a team when people are working by themselves. The face-to-face -face interaction, they're realizing now that there's something that was lost that is going to impact big corporate industries and small corporate industries for years to come. And some big corporations, some in Jacksonville, I'll just let you know, some of you might cry yourselves to sleep, are saying, we're all going to be back to work in December. Like some people are like, oh, what? Like, I mean, to go back to work. Now, some people are glad. They're like, I cannot be at home one more minute. I am 9,000 pounds and I, I can't, there's nothing I, I got. I've got to do something. I got to get out of this chair. But some people have really grown to love it. But there's something that's lost. And as we're in the church, I think there's the obvious things that being in isolation have, have borne themselves out. And again, this isn't about everybody coming back to church immediately. We get that there's, you know, that's going to be a process for anyone and everyone as they move back to church, but that's going to happen. But we have to look back and see what are the things that may have happened in this that we haven't realized yet. Because we, sometimes we don't even know what to return to. Like we have this idea, well, I'm, you know, you guys are all here sitting in church. You guys are all engaged and on the stream. You know, why are you talking to us about returning? We're here. But sometimes we don't even realize what's been pulled away in this season. And there's a couple of things that have been lost, that were, were, were obvious, you know, as we started to move through, but maybe not something that we think 
we got to think too much about. And one of them was this, this idea of co- collective unbiased truth. Like when you are in isolation, and this isn't a, a Christian thing. This is, I mean, you can go social psychology. When you are in isolation, when you are separated, when you are less around people, then all of a sudden you become more biased when you're by yourself. I don't know if you know that. That's one of those things that happens. You begin to create biases. You come together as a collective and unify on some sort of value and truth when you're together more. But in isolation, you search for information and you move towards things and you, you, you become biased. Now, when it comes to the church, we, we sit and we land in a place of unbiased truth. But when we're in isolation, we begin to create our own truth. And that's the world that we live in. We are in the expressive individualistic culture that we, God's placed us in. This is our Babylon, because that's where we're going to kind of reach to in Scripture today in Nehemiah chapter 8. But that's the world that we live in. So having, there, there is a loss of truth in our culture. There's a loss and an, almost a disbelief that it can be found. But for some of us, we believe, okay, we know what it is. We've landed there. But all of us are affected by it. All of us navigate around the way people feel and the way people are operating in the culture that we're in. And the other thing that's been lost, and this one is more obvious, and it's happened as a pastor behind the scenes, I've felt it impact the church more in the 15 years I've been pastoring in the last couple of years than any. Unity. Like we say we are, we are under the banner of Jesus, only Jesus, and everything else pales in comparison when it comes to ideology, when it comes to what we believe. But I've seen the church get shredded apart when it comes to unity, what we believe about life, what we believe about politics, what we believe about education, what we believe about race, what we believe about sexuality. All of those things have come into play and have become more important than the banner of Jesus, only Jesus, believing that Jesus saves and nothing else does. We can't build and leverage anything else in life for our identity other than Jesus. If we truly believe that, then there'd be a whole lot more grace and a lot less anger. But I saw a lot of anger in 2020, to be honest with you. And it, it happens in those places of isolation where we collect ideas, information. We surround ourselves with people that don't oppose us, which we need. And that's what the church is for. So in thinking about losing truth and losing unity, what are the costs? You know, before we dig in, just to think about what are are the costs of losing some of those things? Well, for me, I'll just tell you just from a personal perspective and a pastoral perspective, I've seen more just this year, exponential devastation outside of it, not to make light of people that have died of COVID or have had family members that have suffered through this season. But in our church, I mean, we've had minimal outbreak, no hospitalizations, no deaths, praise God. We haven't done everything right along the way, but God's been good to our church. So with five to 600 regular attenders in our multiple services, we've, that, that's gone relatively well. When it comes to everything else, it's been an utter disaster. There's been marriages that have imploded, marriages that are currently imploding. There's divorces, there is sexual addiction. I'm talking on an exponential level. People getting just assumptions, people judging someone because of a post and leaving the church over it, people giving up on friendships and the church over something like a mask. I've seen people I know love and transition from believing the Bible as truth to creating their own truth multiple times. The damage has slowly and quietly been done and people have been disengaging from church and it's been heartbreaking. It's been massive. It's been massive. And I think 
for, for us as a staff, months and months and months ago, we were talking about this series and we knew that we couldn't leave the past behind and say, all right, we're all back. Let's get back to business as usual. There's a reason that the, the past of the people of God is in scripture so we can look at the faithfulness, the unfaithfulness of people and the faithfulness of God. But for us to look in the past and see that we've lost some sort of collective unbiased truth that God's led us to all these years, and we've lost some unity in the church under the banner of Jesus only Jesus. So as we dig in, if you got your Bible, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. And uh, this isn't the Come and Listen series, so I won't do all the catch-ups that I usually do. I know that makes some people sad because you like to travel through Scripture. It's an amazing series. But we're going to just dive right in and kind of um, airdrop into Nehemiah chapter 8. But I will give you a little bit of an idea of where this is. The, the Israelites are in exile this is generations and generations of the people of God. They were in the kingdom era and they wanted their own kings. Things went horribly bad, especially after Solomon. Uh, the division in the kingdom, Assyrian dispersion, and then Babylonian exile happens. So you've got the people of God and there's kind of this, we talked about this in pre-service prayer, there's always this kind of rhythm with the people of God in the Old Testament. They they are close to God. They're in relationship with God. They are set apart wholly for his name. And then all of a sudden they spread out and things happen. Things go bad. They walk away from God. They, they decide to do their own thing. And then something happens. There's something like exile. There's something like bad happens. God comes in and there's a corrective measure. There's some judgment. And then God extends mercy and the people return to God. So at this point in Nehemiah chapter eight, you've got the Israelites who've been in Babylonian exile. Generations, kids have been born. They don't know anything other than being in Babylon. And I love just even the illustration of looking back to this ancient text and thinking about Babylon. And you might not think the world that you live in is Babylon, but in many ways we are plopped as the people of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, in a culture that does not love Jesus. You might think, I'm in the Southeast, everybody loves Jesus. You know, right here in the South, there's a church on every corner. We are not in that culture anymore. You know, there might be a little bit of, 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 you know, shading and whitewashing on the outside where people like to come to church and cruise in and cruise out. But man, there has been a loss of a grounding and a rooting in the word of God. We are in a place that I would call Babylon. Not in that it's time to move and move out maybe somewhere into the middle of nowhere, you know, and turn our own butter and do something weird. God has placed us here for a reason. We're in this place because God wants us to carry the light of Jesus into the darkness of Babylon. And God placed them in exile, one as a corrective measure, but to put people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in Babylon to be lights in darkness, to show them even in the midst that they could extend kindness, that they could show respect in the governments and the culture that they were set in, and that they could rise to the top to navigate even a pagan country for the glory of God. It's amazing if you read the book of Daniel, what takes place there. But these people have been in exile. And all of a sudden, there's a king that shows mercy, Artaxerxes, after Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, and several other kings, Cyrus, Artaxerxes won. I mean, you can read about him in history. He says, you can go back. And you've got Nehemiah and Ezra. It's, both of these books actually are one book in actuality, but they, they were separated for reading purposes. But they were written as one book, one author. Um, but Ezra's the, the, the preacher guy, and Nehemiah's the business guy. He's the political guy by, for you know, he uses for the glory of God, uses his political prowess, his intellect to collect materials, to go build a wall, to create protection in Jerusalem so that when they go back, everything's good. Ezra's the guy that's bringing the spiritual piece of the puzzle to the table. So as you look at this passage, 
uh, around 45, 46,000 Jews have now come back and are returning to Jerusalem. And it's kind of a weird time. I mean, they've, you know, again, generation. Some kids don't even know what it means to be a part of the people of God. And they're all of a sudden, they're finding their way back to their home country. And there's this moment where, if you've got your Bible in Nehemiah chapter 8, where Ezra is getting ready to read the word of God before the people for the first time. And I love this because it's so, there's such a, a, a powerful moment that speaks volumes. Not a lot of scripture needed to be read here, but Ezra, Ezra opened the book, he opened the word of the law, God's word. And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I love that because today is all about this idea of returning to the Word of God, which I think for many of us, we're like, man, I have never left the Word of God. I've kept the Word of God near me. But even as I've been moving through studying this series, I realized that maybe there is a lost reverence for the Word of God. Maybe there is a lost awe and wonder. I don't think God's coming against us. I don't think there's some legalistic idea around the Word of God, like you can't set it on a table a certain way or don't leave it open or don't put it on the ground or anything like that. But there is a lost awe and wonder for the Word of God I, in my own heart. Like, I think part of it is the electronic. Not that there's any, I love electronic. I, I read on my screen, the Bible. I study and research on my screen. So don't feel like I'm bringing the judgment. But there is something special about opening the word of God and having, seeing the, the pages, having a physical thing that you're carrying around with you that's not, I mean, I like to detach from my phone, to be honest with you. Put it in a drawer sometimes. Frustrates people <laughs> nowadays. Monday is my no electronics day. People are like, where is he? where he's gone. He's the pastor of a church. He's got to answer his phone. Not on Monday. Don't try it. You can try it if you want. You might not get anything back. You won't. But I, the, the, the lost reverence in the word of God. Look, look, if you see the posture of the people and just the reading, they, they've forgotten something. They had lost something. And I love the simplicity of, of the the word of the law is being read and it's inspiring. You see the fuse of the word of God and worship all together. It's not this separate thing, but it's this one thing, all leading people to the glory of God. And for you and for me, there is a loss of awe and wonder. If you think about how the, the, the Bible was even, like how they took these manuscripts from year after year after year after year. I mean, there was a process. If you read in the Bible, how it's, Moved, you know, how, the, how the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, got repeated and written over and over again, and there was no loss. They would, they would go through and they, they would hand write it all. But they would get to words, the, the words of God, like Elohim. They would take a shower before they wrote it. And then they would take a shower after they wrote it, and then they would continue to write the rest. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole different ballgame when it comes to the reverence of the Word of God. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying we're moving to some legalistic way of looking at the word of God, but maybe there is a loss of awe and wonder because this is, this is breath on a page, according to, to 2 Timothy. 
And so I just want to say a couple of things this morning as we talk about this idea of returning to the word. Because in a, in a culture and maybe a year, a year or so, where we, maybe we've lost something dramatic. Maybe we've been losing it in this world that I think is much like Babylon. We've lost this collective unbiased truth. And the good news about the word of God is the word of God has no bias. Has no bias. You, 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 you don't look at the word of God and it, it's not a negotiable. It's our only 100%. It's the only firm foundation. You know what? The, the progressive you know, ide- idealism or anything that's moving forward, the things that may, may be good in the next season of life and the things that may be bad in the next season of life, all of those things will fade away. I mean, scripture leads us to that place of understanding and know the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Kings will fade. Ideas will fade. Governments will fade. Thrones will fade. But the word of God, it will stand forever. And like I said in 2 Timothy, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work, just like Dan was talking about. John Piper says this, and I love this kind of idea of looking at the infinite worth of the word of God. He says, we hold in our hands and we are able to read what the creator and ruler of the universe wants us to know. I mean, that's a crazy thought. The Bible puts us in touch with God's thoughts about everything that the Bible addresses. And the Bible addresses a lot. It doesn't address everything in detail, but it addresses a lot, especially when we're navigating where we're supposed to be in culture. The word of God helps us navigate in a place like Babylon in a place like the United States of America, in a place that is moving around and changing every minute, every hour, every day. There's a solid foundation in the word that helps us navigate that. It it, it tells us about what it looks like to go to work, what it looks like to engage with government, what it looks like to be married, what it looks like to have kids, what it looks like. It addresses sexuality. It addresses so many things. And it, it addresses it from the perspective of God. And we need this. Many times we approach the word of God in the moments where we're like, I need something from, from the word. I need, I, need, I need something. I got this going on in life. I need something from the word of God. But the word of God really is, is, is one story and it's all about Jesus. And what we really need, because there is a fusing between the word of God and Jesus, is him. And the word of God is all about his redemptive plan. But in the midst of all those things, we see it's profitable in every moment for reproof, for correction. And why do we need that? Especially now. I think in the last season, even in in the, 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 like the early days of of feeling isolated, I felt this. It's like, at first we were like, man, we are God. This is, we're going to stay committed to the word of God. I mean, the Harmon family. I mean, it was just like, we're going to, we're going to be in this, but it becomes hard. It becomes difficult. And there's something that happens, especially in isolation that I mentioned earlier. It's this idea of bias. We all have it. We all move in that direction. We talked a little bit about confirmation bias in here, probably because there was a Netflix special that kind of addressed how technology makes it even worse. But confirmation bias, like we, we create our own truth. We lean towards, because we're sinful and we're broken, we lean towards things that we like. And we, we hope and believe that the things that we think are the right thing are the right thing. And there's a whole nother group of people that think differently than you. And they think they know what the right thing is. But we can confirm our truth, but only because we're biased in the way that we collect information. I'll give you a definition. Confirmation of bias 
occurs from the direct influence of desire on beliefs. When people would like a certain idea or concept to be true, they end up believing it to be true. In other words, confirmation bias suggests that we don't perceive circumstances objectively. We embrace information that confirms our view while ignoring and rejecting information that cast doubt on it. Does that make sense? Like we embrace things. We read articles. We dig on the internet. We, we dive deep down the, the rabbit hole of the Googleator, And it leads us that way too. Like it's going to give you the information that you like because it wants you online longer. I mean, it's, it kind of forwards that whole thing. But it's this, this biased truth that we grab a hold of. And we all do it. It's been happening in, in all of time. I mean, anybody, anybody heard of the, the, the Thomas Jefferson Bible? And again, I love America and I love our founding fathers, but they didn't do everything right. I mean, let's just be honest. Thomas Jefferson, anybody heard? Raise your hand if you heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Yeah. Do you know what? I mean, this, what he did, because he didn't like some things that he saw in the Bible, he took a razor blade and he cut it all up. And he cobbled together his own Bible. He removed everything about the resurrection. He moved everything that was supernatural. He put, you know, some of the moralistic things that were in there. He kind of had his own collection of the things that he wanted. And he made it a book. Thomas Jefferson Bible, the works and morals of Jesus. And we're like, how in the, I can't believe he would do such a thing. We do that. We read the Bible that way sometimes. I mean, do we bring our biases as we dig into the Bible, as we look through the Word of God and the way that we approach the Word of God and the power of the Word of God, we certainly do that. But we have a war that we're waging in the way that we look at it, and the Word of God is, is not biased. It is the thing that we can stand on. It is the thing that we can hold on to. It is the thing that can sustain us in the culture that we're in now, in the world that we'll live in next year and the world that we'll live in 20 years from now. Again, a lot's gonna fade away. A lot's going to change, but the word of God stands forever. The word of God will be the thing that is our foundation and it is not bias. It is truth. Secondly, the word of God brings unity. I love that in this passage, you see something, you see the superlative. If you, if you go back and you look at it, it says all the people stood up. As the word of God was read, all the people stood up under the banner of the word of God. They all worshiped and they all bowed down. Can you imagine? Like you got 46,000 people that have just returned in and around Jerusalem. And after that, I mean, there was this brokenheartedness that you sense in Nehemiah. And I would encourage you to go back and read it. They were brokenhearted. They were weeping because they realized in that moment, maybe they were numb rolling into that joint. But as soon as the word of God was read, it broke something open in the atmosphere. And all of a sudden weeping, and repentance happens. And Ezra has to come to them and say, hey, we've returned. This is not, certainly it is a time for repentance, but we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the returning. We're going to celebrate being back. And I love the sacrifice that they made back then. I mean, they reinstituted, reinstituted the, 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 the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Booths, and they were going to stay there for seven days. And people took their, because people didn't all live in Jerusalem, they went back home, they got their tents, they got their stuff, they got their pots and pans, they got their goats because they needed food, milk and all that stuff. They brought it all together and they built like makeshift houses all in and around Jerusalem to have this party. And Ezra says, we're gonna drink good drinks, we're gonna eat good food and we're gonna celebrate the fact that we're back. I love that the church, the church should party more. I mean, I'm just saying, 
I mean, I think people are always like, you shouldn't do anything, you know, like dancing and having a good time. You know, that's going be a big, big problem in church, you know. We should party. I mean, that's why worship should feel like people, you should shout. I feel like people are like, you know, kind of in this zone, like, man, that's, I don't know, I feel something in here, but I got to stay kind of like here. Maybe we'll do a little bread basket. No, I'm talking about we should be, woo! I mean, we should be excited. Savior of the world, redemption has happened, right? If you know Jesus, he's changed everything. And it should be, we should party to give glory to, we party for all the wrong reasons and give glory to all the wrong things, but to to raise our glasses and say, glory be to God for good food and good drink and the things that he's given us, the common grace that we get to experience, the breath that we've gotten up with, to walk on planet earth and live life, to stand one more day, to give him glory in that. I mean, our problem is, is that we, we begin to worship the created things rather than the creator. We don't allow our hearts to roll up and our eyes to go up to the one that gave those things to us. Certainly we can enjoy them. The church ought to take some lessons from Ezra and Nehemiah. And as we read the, the word, God's promises and God's faithfulness, we should celebrate, we should shout, we should raise our hands, we should bow down. There is a time to weep. There is a time to repent. There's tears of joy. There's tears of sadness. But the word of God can bring unity for all of us. And that's something that I've seen get dismantled in the last year. But the Apostle Paul talks about this, this idea of unifying under one banner. We've made a lot of other things the pinnacle of our, our heart and our life, the thing that's most important. And it's caused anger and, and division. What do you believe about this? What do you believe about this? Well, if you did this and people make all these crazy assumptions, but the apostle Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, he's telling them, don't let this happen. I urge you, you can unify under one thing. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. We certainly could could have used that this last year. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. How is that going to be possible? How are we going to do that? Well, he says, man, you got to keep the the main thing, the main thing. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Think he's trying to make a point? We we make all of these sub things the main thing and all of a sudden the fact that Jesus saves and nothing else does, that the cross of Jesus Christ split history and that should be the focus of our lives and our heart. We forget it and we think something else is more important. We think our politics is more important. We think our ideology is more important. We think what we believe about anything. I mean, we can put anything on the table. It's amazing what people will argue over and leave, like, lose friendships and leave the church over. Not even have a conversation. Not, let's, hey, let's talk about this. It's usually, usually I'm meeting with somebody. It's, it's I've, I'm sorry to tell you, but we're leaving. You know, it's not, hey, can we talk about this? Because I'm having trouble. It's usually the first conversation is the exit. And it's usually over something that has nothing to do with Jesus. It always finds itself into that place of being personal. And something has broken that bond and that lack of of unity and isolation and not being together and not fighting to be together in a a city group, in in community with one another, not seeing each other face to face. We have this problem, another type of bias, it's assumption. We we begin to assume things about people. You've ever noticed that? Like the, the assumptions you make about somebody when you haven't been around them? 
Like you hear something from somebody, oh, so-and-so's this, you know? You know what, I've, the, the crazy assumptions that have happened, and this is just me being pastor honest, people have come to me and said, that don't go to our church or have you know, not been around for a while and said, man, I heard your whole church is like, they, they are like, they're completely, they're all just Fox News watching conservatives. They, everybody wears a MAGA hat to church and that's kind of the way that it rolls there and that's just the way that it is at, at OCC. That's an accusation I've gotten. And I've also gotten the accusation, I heard your whole church is super weird and very, very liberal and all Biden supporters. I've heard both. Very strongly, in fact. And I'm like, and then there's a bunch of us all kind of in the middle, like, I don't know. You know, and everybody, but there's an assumption when you're not around, when you don't see people, when you're in isolation of what people think. And we do that personally. You know, we get around people and I mean, here's, here's the thing. Commentary without presence, and this is harsh, can be ignorance. Like if we begin to speak without being in front of somebody or not in the position to actually experience it, then it really is, it just doesn't carry the authority. Maybe it's not ignorance. Maybe it's just it lacks authority. Like I've, I've, I've dreamed of going on foreign surf trips. And I, you know, a few years ago, I got to go to Nicaragua. But, but if I hadn't gone, me getting up here talking about it or me having a conversation with you, talking about Panga Drops, talking about Colorado's, talking about Lance's Left, showing you pictures, you know, describing to you what it's like to be an eight to 12 foot surf with offshore winds and feel like you're going to die. None of that would really mean that much if I hadn't been there. But because I've been there, because I was present, it carries a little bit more authority. Don't tell me about the Grand Canyon if you haven't stood on the edge and felt it in your chest. It's just commentary. It doesn't hold any authority. But yet we get on our Googleators and we try to find out about this issue and this issue. We send each other articles. We send each other what we think about this. We send each other articles about people that we hate that you don't even know. It's just commentary without authority because you haven't been present with people. You haven't been present in those situations. You get around people, and I've noticed this as people have come back together, and it's a beautiful thing about getting engaged in biblical community, not just surrounding yourself with three dudes in your backyard over the next season of life, because you're going to pick the three dudes that you like that won't challenge you, but coming together in the diversity of the church where people are different. The beauty and the pain of the church is diversity. The beauty that we sharpen each other, the rough edges of the person that's not like you, sharpens the edge off of you. We need this in the, in the way that we read the Word of God. The Word of God was given as a collective. Certainly, we should read it on our own and have our beautiful quiet time in a meadowy field with the right pen and our cup of coffee sitting there on our own. I can have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, you can, but Jesus loved the church, and it's His vehicle for redemption here on planet Earth, and it's the way that He sharpens you. We're better together. We always will be. And when you're present with people, assumption falls to the floor. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a position with people and I've gotten that, that voice in my head. I call it the committee. You know, it's like the committee starts talking to you about what somebody thinks about you. Somebody says, hey man, I heard somebody. And you're like, and then the brain starts going, and you don't go to sleep. And you're thinking, man, I just, I can't believe they said that about me. They hate me. I don't know how I, what I did or how I offended them, but they absolutely hate me. And I kind of now hate them. And I don't know, I mean, you can't, you just have that feeling and you can't get over it. And it goes and it goes and it goes. And then you kind of go around the people that you like, that you're around and you know, you're kind of 
community that's been telling you all of these things. And then all of a sudden you have an actual conversation with the person. I've gone home to my wife and said, you know what? I met with them. I know I've been doing this for like two months about them, but man, I kind of like them. I know I was stupid. It just immediately falls to the floor. You know why? Because God, God meant us to be face to face, present with one another. We've lost that and we have to fight to get back to it. We have to fight. How and in, in what way that looks, the beautiful news is that it seems as though soon we will be back together. But man, we need to remember what we lost because I think in the everyday, even without a viral pandemic, we can tend to not be together. We might be, hey, how you doing brother and see each other at church for three minutes. But we don't engage in biblical community in a way that sharpens each other. If I get to just cherry pick all the people that I put around me, it'll just be a bunch of me's cruising around with no impact. But if we come together in the church and we allow God, because he puts, puts all these people together in the church, people that, you, that are like you and people that are not like you for a reason. People like, they get into a city group and they're like, I don't like my city group. Everybody's so different than me. <laughs> praise God, they're different than you. You know what I mean? And everybody else is thinking, praise God, we're different from you. I don't know where that came from. Shh, filter. The word of God, be, the, the word of God being read to one in community. It is good on your own. It is good with just your family. We should do that. But the power and the impact of more. Ecclesiastes says, man, you, you do things on your own. It's sad, but you have one brother with you or one sister with you. Things get better. They can, when you fall down, they can pick you up. When you're cold and you're out in the middle of a snowstorm, you got somebody to cuddle with. It says it right there in Ecclesiastes. It says, it is sad if you find yourself in a place of isolation and outside of community. God built us for this. Accountability, we need it. I need these people that don't think like me. That's how the word is living and active. You know, it says in Hebrews 4, 12, that the word is living and active. That's, that's how it's living and active. It, it, it's living and active because it's, it's breath on a page, but it's given collectively to us. You ever been like read, like read a passage on your own and it's, it's powerful. You underline it and you write some notes in your Bible, but then you come to church in the collective and it's read. And then all of a sudden there's something to it. Like you feel something, like it, it invokes something you begin to see something by the power of the Spirit. That is not just some emotional experience you're having. It is the divine nature of how God intended this whole thing to work in church, to have the word of God read over you, to have the word of, of truth, to have the gospel read in and through you. We need this because not only is the word of God an unbiased truth, not only is it something that brings unity when it's read, but you know, if I could throw a third point up there, I'd say, if you're wanting to know Jesus, know his word. The whole story is about him from beginning to end. You know, look at Colossians. It says he, he was the active force in creation. All things were created by him and for him. Hebrews says the same thing. John 1 says, you know, that he is the one. Nothing was made without him. He is the light. He is the force. He is God in the Trinity. Isn't that beautiful? The whole story from beginning to end, the story, of Je the, the story that Jesus creates and restores everything. We sang it today. So will I. From the I love that song. From beginning to end, it's the narrative story of, of 
God's creation and redemption. Jesus is the word. He is the word. It says that in John chapter one. You want to know Jesus because it's not about getting to know your Bible. I need to, I need to figure out what, what to do today at work, how to act. Yeah, there's principles in there. But it is not about navigating you through a bunch of principles. You know, it's not, you know, a life manual. It is to put you in a place where, you know what? I want to fall in love with Jesus more because what I need every minute and what I need every hour is him. I need him. So let's do something together just as we, as we close. Let's stand together. I'm going to read the word of God. You know, I love this. I love being able to see your faces right now just because there's not anybody in the room, whether you believe it or not, that doesn't, doesn't need to experience the word of God in community. And that includes everybody that's watching on the stream. I want everybody to feel, feel the, the power of, of the presence of God when two or more are gathered. Just as we stand in, in, in this kind of space. And I think about this idea of being exiled and returning and coming back to a place of returning, not only to the word of God, but returning to Jesus. Like Dan said, we need it. Ben said the same thing. Like I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to walk away. I mean, we're all here right now. And we say, yeah, well, I come to church. I get that. And I'm glad you're here. Glad you fought to get here through the storm. But just the power of the collective. When you think about the way that the apostle Paul wrote the epistles, the way that he wrote Ephesians, the way that he wrote Colossians, the way that he wrote Galatians, the way that he wrote Philippians, it was not to just you. It was to a collective. It was to a church. It was to people to be read together. That's what they did. They would get the letter, the letter would get delivered and they would say, let's all get together. We got a letter from the apostle Paul. And the instruction that would come, the beauty of the gospel that would come would be read collectively. The gospels. In John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And Jesus was with God in the beginning. I replaced the pronoun. I hope you don't think I'm like Thomas Jefferson, but the pronoun is Jesus. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life. And that life was the light for all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Love this in Ephesians. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, 
but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's the word of God, people, built on the word of God. With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, this whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thanks be to God for the beauty and the power of his word. Jesus saves and nothing else does. God, return our hearts, our minds, our physical bodies, our mentality to your feet, to your word. God, change our lens that we view it as something that is precious and unending, something that will always lead us to life and away from death. God, we need healing. We need marriages to come back together. We need the brokenness to see the light of redemption. We need this dark canvas of 2020 to just shine bright with your glory. Just come Holy Spirit, just lead us. Power of your name, Jesus.